Welcome to Public Safety Talk Radio, the podcast for all of our heroes in public safety, including law enforcement professionals, firefighters, EMTs, corrections officers, healthcare workers, and more. The show is produced by the POCUA and is founded upon its soundness initiative. This episode is sponsored by the Finest Service Organization, a provider of line of duty death loan protection through many of our POCUA institutions. I am Ken Bader, your host for Public Safety Talk Radio, and I have a really interesting, intriguing guest. To give you just a little bit of background is, and you've heard the Public Safety Business Summit little intro, is in looking for businesses that serve first responders on the East Coast, I came across Lou Velosi on LinkedIn and reached out to him, didn't even know about his great book. And then I became even more intrigued and says, you know what? I don't care if you're coming to the summit or not. You need to be on the show, man. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Uh, Lou Velozzi's fictional businesses allowed his team of undercover agents to take thousands of weapons out of circulation and millions of dollars of drugs off the street. So it's a great job, man. These covert storefront operations um, were developed by this author and this special agent, Lou uh, and this operation ran from 2006 to 2014, so we're definitely going to dig into that. I can go on and on about Lou, but Lou, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, brother. It's an honor to be here, man. Thank you for having me. It's it's my privilege, and you know, there's in looking at your background, you're not even digging into the book yet. Yeah, you know, there's there's so much to to uncover here. Um, let me first say, you know, thank you for your service, man. I don't think enough people probably you know tell you that, and uh, I know that uh, you probably saved you know at least dozens, maybe hundreds, and even thousands of lives from getting that crap off the street. So I personally appreciate your service. But with so much to dig into, let's start with, you know, looking back at your career, what are you most proud of? What do you sit back in retirement and say, you know what, this is when I really, really did something? You know, I, I would have to say, Ken, that probably the number of guns um, that I was able to take off the street uh, working undercover, because it's kind of hard to qualify uh, when you do an undercover deal and you buy one crime gun. Mm-hmm. It's hard to qualify. You know, how many bodies does that gun have on it? How many bodies would it have on it if it stayed out there in the street, right? Every gun mm-hmm. tells a story. So, you know, I was able to personally buy over 1,000 guns off the street in an undercover capacity. So just knowing that, um, you know, that many guns are, are out of circulation and aren't out there killing people is probably my greatest personal achievement. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I, I, I'm not, you know, as I, people in my audience are probably tired of me saying this, but I'm not law enforcement. I've never been a first responder. Um, and I am a huge gun advocate. Um, but, you know, I never really think about, I think about, you know, taking drugs off the street, you know, stopping human trafficking, you know, doing other things to protect people. Yeah, I never really think too much. And maybe that's my ignorance of the illegal guns. And the the domino effect of negatively of leaving one out there, like you alluded to, of what kind of crap that's going to cause, um, or as you said a lot more eloquently than I did, taking one off the street, the positive domino effect of all of this that isn't going to happen because that's not there. Yeah, if you notice, I say crime guns. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, my agency gets a bad rap, man. ATF. Um, 
I, you know, I, for years and years and years, I worked with warriors, man, just mm-hmm. men and women who are on the streets who just want to make the community safe. And, and the best way to do that is to get the crime guns out of the hands of the shitbirds, you know, mm-hmm. that are pulling the trigger. Uh, so, you know, we, we get a bad rap and sometimes my agency has earned it. I mean, without a doubt, especially mm-hmm. management. But for the most part, the men and women I work with, man, we, we were out on the street just selling out uh, with the goal. Yeah, we bought a lot of dope and all that, but our goal was to get crime guns off the street. You know, you know, a gun can be a crime gun in mm-hmm. basically one of two ways. If it's illegally possessed, in other words, the person possessing it isn't supposed to have it. Convicted felon, illegal alien, whatever. Right. Fugitive. Or the gun in and of itself is illegal, right? A, a stolen gun, a machine gun, a sawed-off shotgun, whatever it happens to be. And those were the guns we were going after. Uh, almost every ATF, ATF agent I ever knew and worked with is a proud member of the NRA and supports the Second Amendment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not gun pullers. No one I worked with was trying to take guns out of the hands of good citizens. We, we mm-hmm. all support the Second Amendment. We just, we do get a bad rap. And, and like I said, a lot of that is well-deserved. Uh, but all in all, you know, and that's why I'm putting a book out and trying to tell the story. And I've had guys before me who have put some great books out, uh, just trying to tell the story of the warriors in ATF and, and the work we did to make the streets safe. Yeah, yeah. And I do want to dig, I didn't even mention your book in the the intro. I should mention it now before we, we get even farther down the conversation. And I do, yep, there it is. Storefront Sting, an ATF agent's life undercover. Um, I need to get that book and, and read it. You know, the more I read books that are, are written by um, current and former officers, the, the more educated i feel and the less ignorant i am you know like facing evil that i i just read and had on the show um but yeah i i really do appreciate what you're saying about the atf because it i've said this on my show and i've had other people say this that nobody hates a bad cop or wrongdoing you know things that didn't go right in law enforcement more than good law enforcement you know, they they want stuff to be right. They don't want corruption. They don't want crap to happen. They want things to go by the book and, and to be able to save their lives and save others' lives. It's not that complex. So, you know, I appreciate you saying that. And you know, I also believe, and, and this is going a little bit off the rails, but, you know, as a Second Amendment advocate myself, when you know whether it be politicians or certain groups say well you know we need you know more background checks you know we we need more this more that i always say as a gun owner yeah i'll fill out whatever the heck it is you want me to fill out yeah i don't i don't have anything to hide you know i if, if you tell me because i've done something wrong that i no longer have a right to have the gun then that's a different discussion and you know maybe i deserve it but as of right now, as the law stands, I have a right to have a firearm and I'm more than happy to fill out whatever forms or do whatever background checks. You, know, you can dig into me as much as you want. You're going to get really bored. But if you want <laughs> if you want to dig into me, you know, go go for it. I have nothing to hide. And I think that's kind of what you're you you're echoing here. Hey, listen, brother, I mean, 
all, all of my guys, right? My, the whole undercover crew that I did my career with, we all feel the same, you know, our Ted Nugent said it best, man. You know, the, the constitution, the second amendment is my concealed carry permit. Mm -hmm. That's how we all feel. And if you are a United States citizen and you know, you're not a convicted felon or, or whatever those, that multiple uh, group that is not allowed, everyone should carry a gun. That's how I feel. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir here. All right, before this becomes a uh, a big NRA pro <laughs> rally here, let's, which I'd be fine with, uh, I want to talk about this book, Storefront Sting, an ATF Agent's Life Undercover. It came out earlier this year in 2022. Um, you alluded to it a little bit uh, earlier in our conversation. What, what motivated you to write it? You know, what you know made you wake up one day and have this wild hair and say hey i need to write a book about this so it, it was actually a, a friend of mine my career did not end well uh it certainly didn't it ended early and not not the way that i wanted it to end and uh when i was at a low point in my life and you know going through a, a difficult situation uh one of my good friends kevin grogan who uh, we call bootsy he said, man, you got to write a book. He said, you've done some, some things that no, no one has done uh, in your career and you know, your ups and downs and everything. He goes, you, you need to write a book. And he was, he was almost encouraging me to do it, I think, uh, in a therapeutic way. And I started writing it and I started getting people interested and people saying, man, there's something here. People started telling me this is tailor-made for like a Netflix series, um, these storefront operations you did mm -hmm. because, you know, each season could be a different storefront and they all ran for about a year. And, you know, then we'd go to a different city and do a different one. You know, first one was a tattoo shop. Uh, then we did like a head shop, paraphernalia shop. Then we did a military surplus store with a shooting range and we kept upping our game. And the last one was a, a freight forwarder at the ports. Um, and we were getting into complex criminal organizations. So, so it, it is tailor-made for something like that. And I started getting a lot of support uh, and I kind of wove. So the book is about these undercover storefront operations. I did everything. I was an undercover whore. I never said no. I did gang infiltrations, murder for hire, uh, biker investigation, all of it. You know, if, if someone said, hey, can you do this undercover? Yes. And they didn't have to finish the sentence. I'm in. So what became my calling card eventually was these storefront operations, which I, I fell into. I didn't know anything about them. Uh, another agent asked me if I could do the undercover on one and that's how it started. And we bought 430 guns on that first one. It was a tattoo shop in Augusta, Georgia. And I saw something there. And so we kept doing them and we kept upping our game and they got better. Each one got better. We made a ton of mistakes. Uh, a lot of mistakes, but the results were phenomenal. The guns, the drugs that we were getting off the street, the violent armed career criminals we were taking off the street, the results were like nothing ATF had ever seen before, you know, in an operation that was a 12-month operation. Uh, but, you know, all good things come to an end. Uh, I did my part. It's time to get back to business in person. And if you run a for-profit or non-for-profit business that serves first responders, the Public Safety Business Summit is for you. 
The Public Safety Business Summit is a highly interactive event that is being brought to you by the POCUA in Savannah, Georgia from March 27th to the 29th, 2022. What you will find there is a wealth of networking and co-learning opportunities among like-minded professionals serving first responders. What you won't find is a series of boring speakers skilled only in the art of death by PowerPoint. In fact, there will be no speakers at all, just highly interactive panel discussions and deep dive small group conversations on topics that are relevant to growing your unique business. Learn more about the Public Safety Business Summit at policecreditunions.com slash 2022-conference. That's policecreditunions.com slash 2022-conference. Or call 331-300-9889 to register. We look forward to welcoming you to Savannah in March. I did my part to, you know, to help screw it up. Uh, there was a lot of bad press. Congress got sideways with these operations and eventually they ended. Uh, and this is just the story of these operations that people know nothing about because they, they happened right under everyone's noses and no one knew they were going on. And, you know, there was no press, obviously. And so we they're kind of unknown. And I'm just telling the story about these operations. And, and it's I, I promise you this. It is a good read. Uh, it's, it's a fast read. I kept it short. It's exciting, um, but it's not some tough guy cop story. Uh, you know, where I, I ride a horse or rode, ride a Harley out at the end. <laughs> I mean, it's not a happy ending. Uh, it's real. Yeah. Um, and it, I just laid it out there. There's no, I took my ego right out of it. Um, I owned up to all my mistakes and, and I just laid it out there. So you're saying that, you know, The Rock isn't going to play you on when, when, uh, when your book becomes a Netflix series? Well, you'd, you'd have to put on a wig. You'd have to get some right. hair. You, you can know, do I, the goatee thing. Absolutely. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I'll have have any say in, in any of that. As long as they're cutting me a check, brother, I, I don't care who plays me. Could play me. I can care less. Just well, right that now. that would be interesting. That would be a drama comedy type of the thing. But uh, <laughs> to, to get back into serious mode for just a minute, which I don't like to do too often. <laughs> um you mentioned that the book was suggested as, in essence, a, a therapeutic tactic or um, action for you. You know, was it therapeutic? You know, did did it did it actually help, or did it just kind of bring up a number of old wounds or a combination thereof? No, it was incredibly therapeutic. Uh, it, it helped me to kind of get centered again and to get my priorities back in order and, and to it's good to go over your mistakes uh, right to learn from your mistakes mm -hmm. uh, and so in that sense it, it was it was a huge help the first thing I learned right off the bat is that I can't write right everyone thinks they can write but I you know I, I can't write I uh you know I could write an investigative report a mm -hmm. police report but you know when it comes to writing authoring a book that's difficult, man. I would sit at the computer for hours and type one sentence. I delete it. I type it again. I delete it. An hour or two would have passed by and I'm on the same sentence. Uh, so, and I went through uh, four co-authors until I found the right guy, the fifth one. And it's hard, not that they weren't good. They just didn't get it. Uh, it's hard to have a non-law enforcement person co-author a book about law enforcement 
Um, and, and, you know, this is a very different subject. Right? Undercover workers are yeah. very, very totally different from most law enforcement. Um, but I, I found the right guy. I got a great literary agent. Uh, and, man, it all it all fell into place. But it took five years, man. This didn't happen overnight. Five yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. I won't even tell you how long it took me to write my book, and it wasn't even anywhere near as uh, hard hitting as as yours. <laughs> um, hard, so, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I could, I'll, you know, I maybe someday I'll I'll share with you and my audience the fun of losing a whole chapter off of my tablet in the cloud that never ever resurfaced uh and it was the toughest chapter that i was writing too so that was always you know really really fun uh in writing a book um yeah tell us a little bit more about you know exactly and you kind of alluded to it with the tattoo shop and uh, a couple of the other businesses you know, for for civilians like me that don't completely understand, but obviously understand small business. Tell us a little bit more about what is a storefront operation for for undercover, hopefully without giving up too much. So we're not, you know, putting other cops in danger out there in the 50 states. <laughs> I don't think, you know, they're, they're not happening anymore. So, yeah. you know, that's why I can um, I have no problem with the book coming out because it's not doing them anymore. So a storefront mm -hmm. is is simple it's it is a fictitious business mm -hmm. that is owned and operated by law enforcement okay for the purpose of making that community safe that is the purpose that was the purpose of our storefront so it, it, a ton of work on the front end i would have to go out in my undercover identity sal nunziato mm -hmm. and i would have to create this business from scratch uh you couldn't pull favors like we usually do right make some phone calls and, mm. and get some, you know, some of the city cops or, or whoever, someone at the courthouse to pull a business license. You couldn't do it because you didn't want anyone to know. Right. Operational security was of the utmost importance. Uh, cops have bigger mouths than anybody. So we, we couldn't uh, pull favors. So I did it all from scratch. I would meet with realtors, scout potential locations, fill out, you know, credit applications and actually, you know, uh, sign a lease and actually rent a business in my undercover identity. Uh, and then everything else, whatever kind of merchandise or service we provided, that all had to be done covertly. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of work on the front end to set one of these up. And then we would have to secretly get our tech guys in to, you know, line the counters with ballistic material in the event of a shootout. Um, you know, all the hidden audio and video camera because there's no excuse uh, for the prosecutors, right? We, we couldn't have any excuse and say, listen, nah, the audio didn't come out very good or the video mm -hmm. wasn't very good, which happens a lot of the time in real, like if I'm buying a gun in an alleyway, right? Sometimes the electronic surveillance would mess up, it'd be mm -hmm. at a bad angle. But when you control it, you, there's no excuses, right? They wanted television-like quality. so. A lot of work went into that. Um, and essentially, these businesses were staffed by undercover agents and once in a while, uninformant as well. Uh, and we would run these businesses. We would open up and get the word out in the criminal community that I was running guns. Mm -hmm. uh, that my, my in my cover story throughout my whole career was that I bought guns in the South 
And I brought them up to New York where I'm from and I sold them to my mobster associates, right? Which is what really happens. That's mm-hmm. gun trafficking. That's what happens because you can buy a gun down here, you know, a cheap nine millimeter for a hundred bucks and you can sell it on the streets. You know, you can sell it to mm-hmm. criminals up in New York, Philly, Washington, DC for eight or 900. Mm-hmm. So that, that was our hell of a margin. Yeah. Maybe I'm in the wrong right. business, but right. go ahead. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you, you, uh, cause you have to have a reason, right. A believable reason. To, as to why you're buying all these guns or why you're buying all this dope, right? Otherwise, it, it just looks who who does that. Mm. So, and, and I would have we would have an actual operation, and we would show them. Like I, you know, I on some of these I had a moving truck. You know, my secondary business was a a moving company, and you know I, we had moving trucks, and you know I would tell these guys, listen, I load these up with furniture, and I have furniture, and you know I'm going to move someone from Atlanta to New York City. I'm moving, you know, this family, and I'd say, listen, when I get a hundred guns. I secrete them in all the, all the belongings. Mm-hmm. I say, so just in case Johnny Law pulls me over on I-95, man, I'm just moving people. I, I don't know what's in their stuff. I don't go through it. That's not my job. Mm-hmm. And these guys were like, yeah, right on, man. Like they like that hustle. You yeah. know, they want to be part of that hustle. So they start bringing you their guns and all that. Um, and, and, you know, with the drugs, drugs, very easy to buy drugs. And, and as soon as you get a couple buys in, at the beginning, it's spider webs. You don't even have to keep putting out a lot of effort because it's spider webs. It, it's up to the undercovers at that point. You know, when, when guys are coming in and sniffing around to draw these guys in and get what they can get from them. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Really, really, really interesting. Um, the question that came to, to mind as you were talking In terms of storefront operation, obviously, to be successful undercover in the community, it looks like any other business. How how did that dynamic work? Because while I don't know, you know, much about being a cop, I know about being a small business. Yeah, the Chamber of Commerce come by and say, hey, we want your tattoo shop to be a part of us. Yeah, the, the B&I come over and says, hey, you need to network with us. Yeah, hey, you want to support this community event? Yeah, how did that work where, you know, the small business community was trying to uh, welcome you in and you're thinking in, your, in the back of your mind, I don't have time for this crap. You know, I'm trying to catch bad guys. How did that work? <laughs> well, it, you know, it's, it's funny you say that because, you know, our businesses were always like semi shady. We didn't get a lot of that. We got a lot of harassment. Uh, hmm. Got that from the other end by the local police, the fire marshal, um, hmm. the, the zoning people. Uh, you know, they, they didn't want us in their community for the most part. Uh, especially local police would come in, and and also we, when the word kind of got out in the community that some shady shit was going on there, that attracted, you know, the the local police somewhat and even if we were working with a police department only a couple detectives mm-hmm. would know so when we got burglarized which always happened uh you know and and cops would show up and we'd have to deal with the next morning you know we'd have to stay in role and we couldn't get you know we had the fire marshals coming in and telling us you know you don't have the fire extinguisher here you this this giving us fines uh we had landlords who, who wanted us out of there eventually eviction mm. notices, but all that played into our role. Right. When I had, yeah. when I got an eviction notice from the landlord, um, because we were, she said we were illegally operating a car wash out of one of the bays 
Uh, hmm. and, uh, you know, I put that eviction notice right on the counter and all the, you know, because a lot of criminals are very familiar with eviction notices, right? You know, and it just, all it did was feed into my, my street cred. Right. It fed, it, it fed into the brand. <laughs> so that's what you got to do when you're working undercover. You know, you, you take these weird things that happen and you try to use them to your advantage to give you more credibility. And, and we, we were able to do that. And, and once we had a few under our belt, you know, we kind of knew what was coming and how to deal with it because we really did get better with everyone. And we, it, it came to the level where we weren't just dealing with street guys anymore, but by, by the last couple of storefronts, we were infiltrating criminal organizations. I mean, we were dealing with Bolivian gun smugglers in, in our freight forwarding business. Uh, we had really elevated uh, the level. We were driving Jaguars and dealing with high level criminal organizations, counterfeiting, all sorts of stuff. Um, you know, and we started out with a, a tattoo shop where we were just doing yeah. dope buys and stolen gun buys, you know, and, and that, again, that's, I go through that progression in the book of how we, we raised, elevated our game in every storefront we did. Yeah. Did, uh, did you ever have a, a thought of, Hey, maybe I'm doing this too freaking well, like a, like a realization of, you know, of fear or, you know, Hey, I'm in, I'm in too deep in this crap. If you did, did that ever come across, you know, at three o'clock in the morning one night? So we, we have, uh, you know, in, in the undercover world, we kind of call those moments of clarity. Right? Mm. Um, and I, yes, I had several of those. Uh, there was a time when I was getting, uh, getting a tattoo. I was laying on a pool table and an outlaw biker was giving me a, a horrible tattoo on my arm. He was drunk. <laughs> he was drunk. I was drunk. And I was laying on a dirt, filthy pool table. And I, I had one of those moments of clarity. I said, you know, where I, I just thought, I was like, wow, I, I came from a good family. You know, I went to college and uh, I'm lying on a pool table with this convicted felon permanently scarring part of my body. Uh, mm -hmm. Several of those. Uh, so I had one where they, they were during a storefront. The local cops really wanted me to get into this child molester, convicted child molester who was running a tattoo shop. And I was over there with him and he was tattooing me. And I had another one of those moments of clarity. Like, mm -hmm. How did it get to this? Right. Yeah. I should be home with my wife and kids. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, we had several of those, uh, you know, never, no fear. And, I, you know, I've been asked that a lot. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I, my whole career, I never had any fear of being discovered. Uh, and, and the truth is, you know, if, if one of these organizations find out, you know, who you are, uh, they're, they're going to get the hell away from you as quick as they mm -hmm. can. They don't want to bring down any heat upon themselves or their organization. They find out you're a fed. They're never going to talk to you again. They're never going to deal with you again. Right. They're going to. Your operation's you. done. Yeah. Yeah. The, the biggest danger that we all had working undercover, all the shootings and everything is that you're too believable in that bad guys kill each other all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. so if I'm buying a kilo off someone who maybe I've dealt with them 10 times already and it's been fine. Well, that's just how bad guys are. Maybe this time he might think, well, you know what? I know he's showing up with 20 grand. So I'm just going to shoot him and take the 20 grand. This time. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna sell him. That's the biggest danger of working undercover. 
is that bad guys kill each other all the time. Yeah. There's no honor among thieves, right? Right. Right. Interesting. The, this is going to be possibly a stupid question for somebody that, that lived this, this life. Um, but you, you, you watch fictional stories of undercover cops. Um, I remember, you know, a stupid show that me and my buddies used to love in college called wise guy. And I look at it now and I'm like, I'm like, wow, you know, this was really cheesy. Um, but one of, God, what was that? Ken Wall. Was Ken actor? Wall, yeah. yeah. I, I personally like Jonathan Banks. It's like, you realize that your hand is on me? Uh, <laughs> I don't need a warrant, you Yahoo. <laughs> Today, if they made that, it would pro- I'd like Netflix where you could swear and do real stuff. That would probably be really fun. <laughs> yep. But one of the things I remember from that show and from other undercover shows is sometimes, and you know, I'm asking if there's any truth to this, you know, these undercover cops you know, have you know, issues with, all right, you know, this, yeah, I know this guy is dirty, but, you know, he's, maybe he's not a pedophile, you know, he's not, you know, he's, he's not that bad of a guy, and I've kind of become friends with him, and now I've got to, you know, take him down or what have you, you know, is, is there any of that going on in your head, or is it just, you know what, man, you know, it's, I'm doing a job, you broke the law, I'm not your friend, I'm just pretending to be your friend. Yeah, no, there, there's uh, always some of that mm-hmm. in every long-term undercover operation I ever did there was there was some of that uh because very few people walk on this earth that are all bad Mm -hmm. you know everyone's got the majority of people even guys who are doing some bad stuff have good parts to them you know maybe Mm -hmm. they're a good a good father whatever it is right so if you don't in my opinion if you don't feel some of that you're not human and you probably shouldn't be doing this job uh and and I and this is crazy because I know you haven't you haven't read my book yet, but mm-hmm. a large part of it uh, centers on one case that is about that. We hired a guy who was a future defendant. We had already bought enough drugs from him to send him away for a long time, and we hired him to work in the storefront to give us more credibility. Mm-hmm. Right? No one knew no one knew us in this town. He was well known, and when they saw him behind the counter, it was instant credibility for us. Right. We didn't think about the long-term ramifications though. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ended up working there for like seven or eight months and we got really close with him. He was a great guy. He never stole from us. You know, we had cameras right over to, yeah. you know, the cover guys were watching the whole time. And, you know, there's a lot of downtime in these operations. Even if you do eight or 10 deals a day, there's still downtime. Mm-hmm. And we, we couldn't come out of roll because this guy was um, obviously not one of us. And we all became close with him. And we all kind of toward the end of the operation, we're like, wow, his name was Petey. We're like, wow, Petey's, Petey's been a huge help to us in this operation. He's, yeah. he's going to go away for 20 years. And we all had a lot of difficulty with that. And he actually did end up trying to commit suicide. And then when we put him in the lockup, another thing we hadn't thought of, all these other defendants assumed he was a snitch. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, and a huge mistake. That's one of the huge mistakes that I made that I put in there. Um, so, yeah, if you don't feel that, back to your question, you don't, part of you doesn't feel that way. I, I don't think you should be doing this job because yeah. you can say it's not personal. It's just professional, but it is personal. When you're taking someone's freedom away, there's nothing worse to do to someone than take their freedom away. 
I, I know I personally, I'd rather be killed uh-huh. than have my freedom taken away. So it is personal. And if you don't feel some of that, you shouldn't be doing the job. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Well, it seems like, and you're right, I, I haven't had the, the privilege of reading your book yet. I will. It seems to me on the surface that the storefront operations were very successful in getting guns and drugs off the street. And I believe you mentioned they don't do that anymore. Why don't they do that anymore? It seemed like that was something that was working. So... And you don't have to give me the politically correct answer if you don't want to. <laughs> I never do, brother. I'll give you the straight up truth. Um, a combination of, of mistakes that were made by some agents, mm. including myself, and uh, you know, the politics. Um, and an agency, my agency not having a backbone about this. So Two reporters from the Milwaukee, uh, I believe it's the Milwaukee paper. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. They got, they got onto one of these. They did some agents did, I didn't know the agents. They did one up in Milwaukee. A couple of mistakes were made. And again, when I say mistakes, mistakes, I, you can't do a year long undercover operation without mistakes. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to happen. Everything is a gray area. You can't run a regular small business for a year without making a mistake, you know, much less, you know, an undercover operation that's a small business. You know, they're saying shit happens, right? Mm-hmm. And it, so um, I, I can't even remember the specifics, but things are going to happen, right? Occasionally, you know, someone's going to leave their gun in the car and it's going to get stolen, right? When you're out on the streets, that happens. Uh, mistakes were made, some things happened. These reporters latched onto it. And then they started looking into all of the storefronts that were being done. They focused in on six. Luckily, none of mine. Uh, and they found mistakes where, you know, involving informants. Um, and, and some were just things that routinely happened. I'm like, hey, the FBI, they, they mess up 10 times worse than this, but come out smelling like a rose. And, and so it all get, went to Congress and, and went to the OIG and they started investigating. And, and again, my agency, instead of standing up and saying, listen, let's address each one of these issues. This is not bad, this happens. Let's look at the good that was done. Wow, 200 guns off the street, you know, but you know, this guy didn't write a report or whatever. They gave the informant a birthday cake, whatever it was you know, let's, let's get our priorities straight and, and fighting it. My agency rolled over and Congress came in and, and based after a while, they were like, listen, we're pretty much we're shutting it, shutting them all down. Um, and to this day, they're not, any agency is not doing a whole lot of proactive work like that. Not like mm-hmm. when I was on the streets uh, in the last, you know, with the whole anti-law enforcement movement mm-hmm. and, you know, this whole politi- weird political thing that's going on. Uh, there is not a lot of proactive policing going on out there. And it's a terrible thing. And I can tell you why. You know, we were never going to win, right? We were never going to win the war. Like the war on drugs was lost a long time ago, mm-hmm. right? You know, illegal guns and the gun problem. It, I mean, it's there. We're not going to win with 2,000 agents for the whole country. But what we did do, we kept them looking over their shoulders because mm-hmm. they, knew, they knew that the worst of them was going, were going down. That's who we were going after, the worst of them, the trigger pullers. They knew we would have, the feds were eventually going to get the worst of them, and we did. And it kept everyone looking over their shoulders. 
And I'll give you a for instance for that. Mm -hmm. One of the storefronts we did, uh, one of the local cops who helped me, he came to me like a year later uh, after we had done the roundup. Uh, we had bought 245 guns, drugs, I mean, as much drugs as we could afford and locked up 100, over 100 of the worst guys. And he told me a year later, he said, listen, man, he goes, there's, he goes, this city is our, like narco guys, they have nothing to do. <laughs> he goes, all of the guys out there on the streets who were selling dope, who didn't get wrapped up are scared. They think everyone else is working for the feds. There, there's like no crime. And, and that to me, that's the greatest reward, right? Mm -hmm. We kept them looking over their shoulder. But now they're they're operating with impunity, man, because not only you know is law enforcement not out there doing it because our hands have been tied, but these prosecutors are are just letting everybody walk. I mean, it's mm -hmm. a revolving door. Uh, and so you can't arrest your way out of our problems. But what you can do is you can take the worst offenders off the street and keep everyone looking, keep the bad guys looking over their shoulder. And we're not doing that anymore. Yeah, yeah, you'd know better than than I would on that. Um, as as a civilian that supports law enforcement and who sometimes thinks that I'm a pretty smart guy, um, I always push back not only on the defund the police crap, but also the blindly defending the police crap. Yep. You know what I what I see this as an opportunity is to not just arbitrarily stop operations. Um, I think it's an opportunity to really look at it and say, all right, well, how can we make it better? Mm -hmm. You know, how can we, how can we get more of these really bad offenders out? How can we, how can we create an environment where, yeah, you know, nobody gets shot and everybody goes home, especially our law enforcement back to their families. Yep. Um, yeah, I would, I would think that there has to be some solutions there and the solution, you know, isn't one extreme or the other. But, you know, no, nobody asks me anything, Lou. <laughs> I do. I get it, man. You know, we can't incarcerate our way out of our problems, right? Mm -hmm. We can't keep building prisons and locking them because oh, that's not, it doesn't work. So the solution, okay, is to make an example out of our worst offenders, mm -hmm. right? And that is a proven deterrent. When you pluck that gang leader off the street, and he gets sentenced to 25 years in federal prison. Mm -hmm. The other guys take it. It makes them look in the mirror and say, you know what? Maybe I should reconsider my options here. Yeah. That's a proven deterrent, man. Um, you know, you can do that. You take out the worst guys. You take, you know, it's like, it's like punching the bully in the face. It makes everyone else think twice about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and maybe it makes that guy that's just getting started in some of this crap, but, you know, is a good father, like you mentioned, actually yep. take a pause and say, you know, maybe I should be doing something else. Right. Maybe I should make different life choices and career choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. exactly. Well, Lou, I could talk to you for another hour. Um, probably be better to talk to you for another hour after I actually read this book. Uh, plus, I want to make good on, on my time commitment to you because you got other things to do. So I'll begin to wrap it up here. Um, you know, the number one question I want to ask before you leave, um, other than, you know, how best can they find you and find your book out there, is for those folks that are, are reading your book right now or are about to read your book, 
is there one takeaway? Is there, you know, if you, if you read the book and you come away with just this one thing, then I, as an author, have done my job or, or I've done something, some, something positive is going to come out of that. Yeah, you know, I, and I have a presentation uh, that I give uh, mostly to, you know, law enforcement organizations mm -hmm. or gang conferences, but I'm, I'm trying to branch out into the private sector. Uh, the, the message is definitely priorities. That's my theme. Uh, I lost mine. I found something in life that I loved and that I was good at. And I dove in um, and became obsessed. Uh, so I was good at undercover work. I was getting results. Uh, and I let it, I, I never stopped. I never took a break. The smart guys, the smart guys who did it, did it for a couple of years and, and walked away, uh, which I, I couldn't do because I, I couldn't stop doing it. So I lost my priorities. Um, I, I sure wasn't up for any, I was getting all these awards for my cases, United States Attorney's Office, Project Safe Neighborhoods, uh, OCDF, the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force Awards, but the, the awards I wasn't getting was father of the year, husband of the year, friend of the year. Those awards weren't coming my way um, because I had lost my priorities. And, and it eventually uh, led me to a downward spiral um, of bad behavior, um, alcohol-induced bad behavior. And uh, I was lucky. I mean, I, I bottomed out. But I was very lucky uh, to have support my, all my undercover brothers, and uh, to because I was at the, I was at the bottom of the hole, man, uh, down at the bottom of the well. But I was able to I was able to work my way out um, and I, and retire and make amends, you know, with my family and friends, and you know, so I'm I'm it's a process, right? And I'm still mm -hmm. in it. But that that is probably the biggest point of my book is priorities. Uh, don't lose your priorities. You know, I'm not saying don't go out and work hard. Mm -hmm. Don't jump into your career and give it all you got. All I'm saying is keep your priorities, right? Family, faith, God, friends. You know, I put undercover work in front of all that. And that, that would be, if you're asking for, you know, what is the point of my book? That's the point of my book. Mm -hmm. It's about these undercover cases, but underlying, it's about a, a guy who lost his priorities. Yeah, I um, unfortunately, I while I've never gone through anything as heavy as you have, um, I I've lived that myself. Um, yeah, I've had a number of uh, alcohol-induced problems that uh, once I reconfigured my priorities properly, that that crap ended. So um, I, I I hear you, and that that is a perfect point to take from that book. And uh, I'm sure I'll take it from it when uh, when I actually read it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I like to call error and judgment, man. That's yeah. There were errors in judgment, man. Yeah, yeah. You don't. Uh, my favorite line in business is uh, doing this. The, the definition for insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. So, uh, <laughs> so sometimes we got to do things differently. Uh, but yeah, Lou, great conversation. For our audience out there that want to grab the book, um, you mentioned your presentation, you mentioned your speaking. 
uh, if they want to to find you out there for one of those presentations, how best can they find a uh, Lou Velosi out there? All right. So for the book, uh, the book is on most platforms. It's Amazon, first and foremost, um, Walmart, Target, mm-hmm. Barnes and Noble, uh, my publisher, McFarland. You can get it. If you just Google Storefront Sting, mm-hmm. it'll come up. Uh, my website it's just my name, Lou Velozzi, L-O-U-V-A-L-O-Z-E, is about to be out this week. And, and I'm going to have a whole thing on there on uh, public speaking and where I'm at with with this, with this the Hollywood company that's optioning the book and is, is making the, uh, the, the Netflix-type series out mm-hmm. of it. So I'll just keep updates on that. But just Googling my name, Lou Velozzi, or Storefront Sting, and it'll all just come right up, man. Yeah, perfect. And yeah, at the very least, um, folks out there, um, definitely grab the book. I'm going to grab the book. It's very, very easy to find on Amazon. Um, it took me two seconds. So <laughs> yeah. so definitely go out there, take a look at that book, buy it and uh, and give it a good read. But uh, Lou, great conversation. Thanks for coming on the show in such short notice. Thank you, brother. Pleasure was mine. It was an honor. Thank you. Oh, it was it was a great conversation. Uh, we eventually have to come up with a valid excuse to to bring you back, which probably won't be that hard. Uh, but thank you, thank you for the conversation. Thank you for everything that you've done, and thank you to all of you who have either watched or listened to this episode of Public Safety Talk Radio. And we'll be back with you next week with another great guest. Public Safety Talk Radio is produced by the POCUA. POCUA is a consortium of financial institutions serving law enforcement as well as other first responders and public safety professionals. To learn more about our association and to find one of our credit needs or service providers near you, go to www.policecreditunions.com. And always remember, if you aren't working with one of our POCUA credit unions, you're just banking with an institution that just so happens to serve first responders. As a public safety professional, you and your family deserve better. Find a POCUA credit union today. Thank you.